Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Okay, this morning we're going to have our, our third lesson from John 15. This is probably the last lesson, but this is one of my favorite places in Scripture. And uh, I've really, really uh, gained a lot out of just being able to look at it again and study it. And I, I hope you will too, not just today, but, but in days to come. All right, so two weeks ago we looked at our position in Christ and, and what is our position and what is his position in John chapter 15? So who is Christ in John chapter 15? No. He is the, he is the vine. And we are the, we are the branches. So he is the true vine and he supplies us with everything that we need. With nourishment, with sustenance. And so we know that the Christian life is not a pick up yourself by your bootstraps kind of religion, is it? It's not. We are dependent. It is a dependent life. So we are the branches, and we learn that there are two types of branches. What, what's, what distinguishes the two types of branches? Fruit. One of them, right. One of them bears fruit, and one of them doesn't bear fruit. So Jesus also taught that as branches of the vine, for us to bear fruit, we are to do something. Abide. We are to abide in him. And we also learn that abiding is not some magical, mystical word, is it? It's not. Ethereal, hey, I'm abiding in Christ. No, it is perseverance. It's enduring all the way to the end. That's what it means to abide in Christ, to continue with him, to remain in him. Just like a branch and a vine cannot do anything apart from that vine. So last week we talked about the means of abiding, and there were three. So does anybody remember the first means of abiding? Abiding in his word. Are you cheating from your notes? That's okay. That's okay. So we abide in his word through, and, and one of the things that, that just a little personal note, and I, I'm talking to me as much as any, is we don't just want to read the Bible. We want to study it. We want to meditate upon it. And we want to memorize it. We want to hide these words in our heart that we may not sin against, against God. The second thing, besides the word, was prayer. And we pray, and and I think Jesus' words were saying, we pray in light of this meditation upon the scriptures. So that we can say, he said, Jesus says, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Well, if we're abiding in the word, we're not going to ask for selfish things. We're going to ask for things that that are, are for God's kingdom, that make his name hallowed. That's what we will do. And then the third thing was that we abide in his... That was one, three. Okay, three. Abide in his love. And it, it's as simple, really, as obedience. So we obey Christ. So I think I likened it to going to the doctor, and you, know, you think, boy, something's really wrong with me. And the doctor goes, well, do you exercise and do you eat right? You know, and you say, well, no, not really. And he says, well, why don't you start doing that? 
Well, that's kind of what it is to abide in Christ. We, we abide in the word, we abide in prayer, and we abide in obedience. All right, so this week, we're going to look at the father's role as the vine dresser. And this is a bit what it looks like, okay? So he is the gardener or the vine dresser, and we're going to be focusing on verses 1, 2, 6, and 8. So John 15, 1 and 2, and then verses 6 and 8 to see the father's role. And according to your handout, this is, this is the outline of what we'll be looking at in these passages. So I think I put it on here. Okay, I didn't. Okay, so the four things we see are, are on your handout if you see them. So he, first of all, part of his work as the vine dresser is to take away the unfruitful branches. The second thing is he prunes the faithful branches so that they may bear more fruit. The third thing, I think I'm getting my fingers all messed up here. The third thing is branches that do not abide are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a solemn warning for everyone, really. And then the fourth thing, as, as we've said before, is that he does all things for his glory. And if we have a problem with doing things for his glory, then we're not going to bear fruit. We're not going to. So let's, let's dive right in. So point number one is he takes away the unfruitful branches. And we see that from... Make sure I have everything right here. Okay. That's one, two. Sorry about that. I don't know what I have on here. So, Okay, there we go. Now I'm caught up. John 15, 1 and 2. So he takes away the unfruitful branches. So these are the words of Jesus. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away... And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right? So this is one of the Bibles, as I said, is one of the warning passages. This is one of the ways that we can examine ourselves. It's one of the ways that we can make our calling and election sure is, are we bearing fruit? So this is serious. These are serious words of Jesus right here. So he takes away unfruitful branches takes them away. I believe that the word of God tells us that he takes, takes unfruitful branches away in two different ways, okay? So the first one is he allows unfruitful branches to fall into temptations, trials, and persecutions. And it is in those temptations, trials, and persecutions that he takes them away from the true vine. So the first person, I'm going I'm to use some examples from the New Testament. So the first person I'm going to use an example is the one to whom he was really referencing in John chapter 15. Who do you think that was? It was Judas. Yeah, it was Judas. So who was Judas? He was one of the 12 chosen, right? Matthew chapter 10 tells us that he sent these 12 out to the sheep of Israel he gave them great powers. He gave them divine authority over clean and unclean spirits. I don't think we have any reason to believe that Judas wasn't one of these who was casting out demons, who was, who was doing great things for the kingdom. He was preaching this, you know, the, the repent for the, the kingdom of God is at hand. But there was no fruit in Judas, was there? 
There wasn't. I, I think that Judas could be one that could actually be said, okay, uh, Matthew chapter 7, right? How, you know, how many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? Judas could be one of those. But what we know about Judas is, is what? What are some things we know about his character? Yes, Rick. He was greedy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And we see that here in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Here's, here's the, I guess, the declaration of, of Judas's real character. So this is in reference to Martha and Lazarus and Mary. That's who this Mary is. So Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment and made from, uh, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, uh, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used used to help himself to what was put in it. What a guy, huh? What a guy. So, as, we, as we've been saying, the vine dresser removes the unfruitful branches. So, in this instance, God, in his divine decree, used Judas's greed against him. He used Judas's greed against him to remove him. So, what's the story of Judas? How did he basically leave the twelve? By betraying Jesus, right? And what did the chief priest dangle in front of him? Money. They knew. They knew Judas more than likely. They knew that he was a scoundrel, you know? And so they said, in fact, I think, didn't Judas say, what will you give me? I believe Judas did say that. So we see that this is a way in which the vine dresser removes unfruitful branches, is he uses your own besetting sin against you to remove you. I think if we all just pause for a second, we probably know of a friend or family member who has left the faith because of some besetting sin. Here's another character from the New Testament. We don't know a whole lot about him, but his name was Demas. And Paul brings him up on three different occasions. We know that Demas was a part of of Paul's ministry at some point. He was a fellow worker with Paul. But, and, and so, here's some of the background on it. So, sorry, I don't know if I'm messing up here. All right. So, we see in Colossians 4, we see Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So, this is a happy thing. He's working side by side with Luke and with Paul. We see this in Philemon. We see it in uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So these are all people that are working together with Paul in his ministry. What do we know about Demas next? As for Demas, in love with this present world, he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I think some of the background of of Demas as well is this is when persecution was at its greatest and Paul was the most needy at this time. And Demas was one of his fellow workers. And Demas said, if that's the way Christianity is, 
this is what I prefer. I'm out of here. Okay? This is how Jesus, or, or I'm sorry, this is how the vine dresser can prune unfruitful branches again. Here's a third, third example. How about Ananias and Sapphira? What was their sin? Covetousness. Yeah. And what? Love of man. Love of their own reputation. A little hypocrisy there. So we know that Ananias and his wife were members of the early church in Acts. And uh, there were people such as, as Barnabas and others who were selling everything that they had and giving it to the community of believers so that nobody had a need. And so I think Ananias and Sapphira plotted to uh, sell a par- portion of what they had and they held some of it back. And why did they do that? Like our brother said, because of covetousness. But, but on the flip side, they gave a portion of it so that they would look good in the people's eyes. So they were hypocrites. Here's, here's the story of it from, from Acts. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Well, we know why. He was greedy. You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all the, of those who heard it. That's Acts chapter 5. So he, was, they, he and his wife were hypocritically holding back some of the proceeds for themselves. And what happened? Were they unfruitful branches? Were they removed? Yes. This is part of the work of the divine vine dresser. Absolutely. So, everybody with me so far? All right. Any questions? Comments? Okay. The second way that God, the divine vine dresser, removes unfaithful and unfruitful branches is through church discipline. I think we see that from the New Testament's perspective. The reformers used to say, I, I believe it, that, that it was the reformers, but, but uh, there are three marks of a true church. Does anybody know what they are? Preaching of the word. Church discipline is one of them, yeah. The administration of the divine ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. So with those three things, you have a true church. Praise be to God, we have a true church here. We have preaching of the word, the administration of the divine ordinances, and as a last resort, right, we, we do practice church discipline. We ought to be thankful for that. That's something we ought to be thankful that that the people, the leaders of this church care enough about your soul to 
administer church discipline. That ought to give you great comfort. It really should. We see the, the pattern for... I guess I go this way. Maybe that's better. Okay. We see the pattern for church discipline for Matthew 18. So let's just, let's just take a look at it. This is, this is how it goes. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Okay, so the first priority is if someone's in sin, as brothers and sisters, we, we have the obligation to tell somebody that they're in sin. You've sinned against me. We know from Galatians 6.1 that we're not to do it like this. We're to do it gently, gentle restoration. But we are to go. This is part of the duty, the purification within the church. But you're to do that between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. The correlating passage in, um, in Luke says, if he repents, you've gained your brother. So I think that's what it means here to say, if he listens to you. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you're trying to establish the charge of sin against somebody. You bring two witnesses, probably, in our instance, probably two elders, or an elder and someone else. If he refuses to listen to them, and obviously they refuse to repent, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what do you think that means? Yeah, let him be an unbeliever. So therefore, this is an action that we are obligated with, is to remove that unfruitful branch. See that? Interesting, interesting pattern here. Okay, I think Paul... I think Paul in Titus gives an example of doing this. There, are, there were people who were uh, accentuating certain laws that were not godly, not biblical. And so Paul told them in Titus 3, he said, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So you see the pattern of warning once, going to somebody once, and then warning them again. And if they're, they've got their heels dug in and they're not moving, guess what? We're to purge them. We're to, do, to, to be instruments to remove that person from, from the true vine, from the church itself. All right, so is there... Yes. No, I think, I think that what it's saying in Matthew 18 is that we're counting you as if you're not. We aren't pronouncing that you're not. We're just treating you as if you're not. And that's, that's not a sign of a repentant heart. You know, somebody who's rigid, that, that's not the sign. Ben. That's exactly right. We don't wring our hands at them and wag our fingers if, if they've been disciplined or excommunicated from the church, we treat them as we would with compassion. Absolutely. It's what we all need, isn't it? We all need compassion. All right. Any other questions? Okay. Do we see an example of church discipline in the New Testament? 
1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay? This church in Corinth was a mess. I mean, it just was. It was a, a mess. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. That's pretty bad. For, there is a, for a man has his father's wife. So there was, there was a son who was sexually immoral with his mother, uh, his stepmother. Stepmother. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed. See that language uh, of removing unfruitful branches? Let him be removed from among you. At the end of this, um, verse 5, it says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I think just real simply, the purpose of church discipline, it, it is punitive, you know, in, in a way, but it is for the restoration of someone's soul. You know, it's not we're cutting you off and excommunicating you so that you can never have a part of us, but we want to see them repent. That's what we want. That's what God wants. We want to see repentance. And that's what I, I believe that, that church discipline is for. That's what Paul is saying here was the purpose. And I believe this young man was restored to the church. What's that? We were talking about Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't get another chance, did they? No guarantee, right? There is no guarantee. So in these ways, we see unfruitful branches, the work of the divine vine dresser, removing unfruitful branches from the church. Okay? So how, how, do we, how do we practically apply that? If we have a criticism against somebody, can't we kind of just rest right here and say, our divine vine dresser is fully in control of what's going on. Yet, we do, when we see someone in sin, we do also have an obligation to confront, okay? I think they need that strength. I think they need the strength of God's people coming to them. They need the strength of God's people coming to them? Absolutely. If they are doing things that are against what God teaches, then they are being pulled in like a magnet. And so they need the strength of God's people to say, hey, here, this is what we see, and this is what is not helpful for you. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes in the Old Testament, we even see death. Ananias and Sapphira, that's one way that they were removed eventually was through death. What about Uzzah? Remember Uzzah? Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant unlawfully. I could, doesn't everybody kind of feel a little bit sorry for Uzzah? You think, man, that's all he did? Really? God is holy. God is holy. He's also merciful. And we see multiple accounts of that. What about Achan? What about Achan? Achan even confessed that he did wrong. He, he took the spoils of, of the victory of war, admitted it, they're in my tent. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm going to remove you. What about Eli's children, Hophni and Phinehas? They were removed, were they not? Through death. Um, who were Aaron's sons? The strange fire guys? Nadab and Abihu, thank you. Had a brain freeze there. We have Lot's wife, yeah. Lot's wife's another. 
Here's another one from the, from, uh, from the New Testament. I mean, we can't, we can't get around it. it. It talks about it, again, from this church in Corinth. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, we see when the Lord's table is being taken here, we see a lot of people very somber, right? We do. That, that's kind of a, a natural thing is, I don't want to take it unworthily. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great fear fell upon when Ananias. But the grew. Yeah, but the church grew, and and I'm I'm also not saying that every death of a member that's young within a church. I mean, no, no. I'm just saying these are some of the ways in which God does, and we can't get around it. This the scriptures teach this. This is one of the ways, and like I said, this is a this is a grave warning passage. Unfruitful branches are taken away. They are. Somebody had their hand up. Okay. Yes, Mike. Great point. Great point. Shannon. So what you're saying is somebody who who you see in open sin, how do we confront them in a one-on-one and not so much in a corporate way? Is, is that the gist of your question? Well, I think like Ben was saying, uh, we treat him as an unbeliever and we show him compassion. We don't grow weary in well-doing to them. We show them the love of Christ. If we've confronted them already and their conscience is seared, I don't know how much confrontation you want to you know, continue to do, but any thoughts? Does anybody have any thoughts of what, what the question, about Shannon's question? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. John Rose. Agreed. Ben. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the beginning of of ter- the church discipline process is. To go individually, so if if I didn't emphasize that, I, I apologize. Yeah, but we are do that. That's one of the great works. That's that's part of the benefits of being a member of a church. You've got others looking out for your good, for the good of your soul. And if we we are truly living as a body ought to function, we ought to confront people in their sin. Not not that we're hypercritical and looking. Hmm. You, you didn't say something very nice to your wife the other day. I saw that. No, 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 no. I mean, open sin that's very obvious and, and repeated. Dan. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Did everybody hear that? Okay. Can you repeat it? Huh? Okay, if, if there is something, cry room people, 
if there is something that is harmful and, and from a legal standpoint, that needs to be dealt and escalated up a little higher. Is that a fair way of saying it? Okay. They're not listening anyway. So there are people, people crying. Oh, they are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So to unbelievers, we need to, is that what you're saying? A constant demonstration of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, and the words of the gospel, right? We have the authority to judge. God has given yeah. us the authority to judge. It's not perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one thing, this is this is my opinion. You know, what do they say that in fifty cents will get you a cup of coffee, right? But my opinion is, I don't know that there's one definitive. You know, back to Shannon's question. I, I sometimes you just don't know. I know that there are general principles of scripture. Sometimes you just don't know what to do. You know, there there may not be an A, a B, and a C. Sometimes it's just our hearts. Um, we have a heart for, for somebody who is wayward or has walked away from the Lord. We have some, some principles. You know, we don't want to be harsh in our, um, our confrontation. We know that. We know that we don't want to enable them. Ephesians 5 talks about that. We don't want to enable them. Um, but sometimes it's just not growing weary and in, in doing good. Not growing weary and well-doing, yeah. I'll go Blake first. Yeah, absolutely. Iron sharpens iron. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right. Damn. 
Yeah. These are people who tend to be part of mm -hmm. And God will take them away. One way or another. Got it. Right. You know, it's not the world that he's talking about. It's not on the money. That's true. Right. Absolutely. Jason. Okay, so I see the ladies in the cry room looking and going, what's going on? I don't know. Anyway, we're having a discussion about sin in, in others and confrontation for, of other people. And so Jason was asking, when do we label somebody as such? Um, I have some thoughts, but I'd rather hear what you all have to say. I'll share my thoughts. I just... Because when one of you gives a really good answer, I'm going to go, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Bo. That's a good one. I'm I'm parking on that one too. Thank you. Marianne. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we 
right? And we all know people like this, don't we? So, so maybe to answer Jason's question, we could, we could say un, un, a, a lack of repentance. We all are sinners, like Bo was saying. We all have remaining corruption within us, right? We all have indwelling sin. Yes. Something along those lines. Well, one thing we can say definitively, okay, this is something that's very definitive, is if we've been confronted and we will not repent, we're, sh- we're showing who we are. We're showing who we are. It can be for a small sin, can it not? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've been saying from Galatians 6 1. We, we confront our brothers and sisters gently. We confront them gently, but we do confront them. We do confront them, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Benjamin. Uh-huh. I probably wouldn't have read that one, but. That's right. You're looking at specs. You're looking for specs and not looking at the log in your own eye. And that, that is, and, and I wasn't prepared to go like systematically through this, this question uh, as it is, uh, and we're running out of time, but, but let, me, let me just say this. That's, that is the place where we should all be. What Ben is saying is, is, is it Matthew 7, I guess, the beginning of Matthew 7, where it talks about the, the log in the spec. Isn't, isn't that the picture of how we should all be? We should all be walking humbly, knowing, like Bo said, like Jason said, we, we, we all have a log in our eye. That means we all sin, we, and we all have big sins. We do, all of us. Every one of us has big sins. And we should be working to get that out of our eye so that we can see now we've, we've humbly maybe mortified these sins or this sin, this log from our life. Now maybe we can be used to help someone else see the speck in their eye. And we do that in a meek and gentle way. That, that's, that's the personal confrontation, I, I think, that, that we're talking about.
Marilyn. And what about those that are disciplined by the Lord for a That's my next point. Next point is, is how God prunes uh, that we may bear more fruit. We're running out of time. I'll, I'll probably just continue this next week, but we can keep going on this point. Mr. Jason. So you're bringing this up because there's, there's sin in your own life. We all have sin in our own lives. And you, you probably need to talk to someone. Talk to someone one-on-one. And, and, and this whole text from John 15, Christ is the answer, Jason or everyone else. The true vine and abiding in the true vine is the answer because Jesus has already paid it all. He's already paid our debt for us. And so that's why we abide in him. And that's why we, we, the flesh is of no avail, John chapter 6 it's nothing. We, we are powerless. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And so we constantly look back to the cross, what, what has been done on our behalf. What's been done on our behalf. Okay, anything else? Consider yourself or reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ, in union with Christ. That's right. Okay. We'll just stop. We'll just stop unless somebody has another question or comment, and we'll pick up point two, I guess, next week. Keep your handouts. That's right. Save the save the church a few bucks there, or a few pennies anyway. All right. Any other comments, Rick? Yeah. 
We sin against God's love and not against his law. If we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, then the law condemns us. But if we're in in Christ, we do sin against the law. That's very good. Very good. Okay, anything else? Let's pray. How great it is, Father, that we can depend upon um, you, the, the divine vine dresser, to prune us. And God, as we'll pick up next week, we, we, um, we know that we must submit ourselves to this pruning. And not only that, we have obligations within our congregation, within um, this body of believers, to be iron, sharpening iron, to, to be a faithful friend who is willing to wound another. Father, we all too many times work really hard at putting makeup on our sin. And Father, I pray that, that even this morning, uh, that all of us would search our hearts, get the log out of our own eye, humble ourselves before you, and continue in our abiding in the word and in prayer and obedience to your love. Father, we know that, that where sin is present in our own lives, we know so many times the answer is that we're not abiding in your word. We're not spending time studying, meditating, and therefore we're not praying, and therefore we're not obeying. Father, would you challenge all of us this morning to do these things and to do them for your glory. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.